listening to Vince Tracy and Neil Coble. It's Europe Calling. What's in the news this week, especially from the UK and from Spain? Europe Calling. Well, a very good day, everybody. Welcome to our podcast for today. The 5th of September, 2023. It is still roasting hot, absolutely boiling. Uh, but it's a bit different because it's grey, it's overclouded, it's high humidity. Uh, it's not pleasant, but you just have the feeling that the season is changing. So I'm going due west uh, round about, I don't know, should we say three quarters of an hour, something like that. And I should find Neil and let's find out whether the weather's changing for him. Good morning to you, Neil, or good afternoon. I keep getting caught on this uh, two o'clock in the <laughs> afternoon bit. Yeah. Good afternoon, Vince, and the listeners. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's cloudy, sunny. Uh, and we've got a lovely breeze, though. But this yesterday, I've never felt it so heavy in my life. When I, you know, when I do my walk in the morning, yeah, it went. It was nice and warm, a little bit of a breeze, but the humidity, and it just looked like fog all around me. But it was so heavy, you know. I was absolutely drenched when I come back. Yeah, I've never been like that, even when it was thirty-five, thirty-seven degrees. I just felt some. I've been having a big backpack on my back walking round, you know. That was yesterday, but today is not too bad. It's quite pleasant. Bit of cloud around, bit of a breeze, oh. sunny. So maybe a little bit of a difference between the mountain on your side and up to up to here. Okay, well we all get right. cracking, and uh, as usual, I've got all sorts lined up for you. Let's hope it's a good, interesting one for you as we go to our first one for the day. Here we go. Moving on. <laughs> Okay, so one of the politicians I hadn't heard of, I've got to be honest, uh, Gillian Keegan issued a grovelling apology after launching an extraordinary foul-mouthed rant while she was being grilled about the concrete crisis on TV. The Education Secretary said sorry for her choice language after being caught on camera venting her frustration during an interview um, with ITV News in a clip posted in the X social media site. Ms. Keegan seemed unruffled and thanked the journalist as they wrapped up the questioning, but the footage kept rolling as the clearly angry minister remarked, does anyone ever say, you know what you've done, a effing good job, uh, because everyone else has sat on their uh, expletive and done nothing, no signs of that, no. It's unclear who uh, Ms Keegan was criticising for sitting on their expletive backsides. Uh, she took over as Education Secretary from Kit Malthouse in October last year, which was long uh, after concerns had first been raised about R-A-A-C. This is all to do with uh, the building blocks on the schools 
in the UK. Uh, let's see where it goes after that. Rishi Sunak has been under fire for curbing spending on upgrading school buildings, while Miss Keegan also hits out at Labour for failing to take action when it was in power before 2010. Uh, number 10, distant self distanced itself from Ms Keegan's eruption, branding it unacceptable, and she later recorded another interview apologising. She said she'd been referring to no one in particular uh, with the jibe about others being lazy and was frustrated at the journalist making out it was all my fault, as well as schools being slow to supply information about RAAC. I would like to apologise. Anyway, she goes on and says she's sorry, etc. Okay, so um, what have you made about all this? I thought it was funny. I thought it was really funny. Uh, she she done her interview, this, that and the other. Uh, he stood at sight of her. Uh, two words, you know, all right. I mean, some people find it offensive. I, I just found it funny. It's about time that they, they didn't have that plum stuck in their mouth and just start, you know, going all the way around the houses. But she was getting... She was getting on mainly, and, and so was Sunak. This has been going on since the 60s, this rack thing. You know, it's, it were putting out schools on all these schools in the 60s. So, Labour's blaming Tories, but why didn't you do something about it then, you know, when it started a few, you know, donkeys years ago? You know, and, and now it's all coming to, you know, the big who are. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's nuts. If you're a bit angry sometimes, I might use that word. <laughs> I, listen, Neil, I've, I've been in your company and I think that's the understatement of the year. Um, all joking aside, um, I don't think really there's much of a problem for myself. But I've got to say, if you're the education minister, you would expect the education minister to have a little bit of a forethought thinking, well, hang on, I, I represent people who teach in the schools and therefore maybe I shouldn't sort of let me language down when I'm just um, thinking of maybe something that annoys me. I mean, really, if you think about it, the classy stuff that we used to have in politics has gone, hasn't it? Oh, yeah. But, uh, I mean, don't forget, they've, they've shouted it's a wrap. Yeah, when they when shoot, they've finished, it's a wrap. So the camera keeps rolling. So that... So the sound man leaves the sound on. You know, that that if, if they, you know, when they say that's a wrap, that should be end of it. Remember Gordon Brown when he called that woman an old bigot and Gordon and this and the other. And was, <laughs> listen, no matter who gets in, this sort of thing will happen all the time. That's all they're waiting for. UK is absolutely fantastic at building people up, putting them on a pedestal, and then chopping the legs off from under them. They're all the same, all this press. It's most of them are good to press anyway. They yeah. make me laugh. Yeah, I, I do agree with you. Um, the only thing I would say, uh, had it been just a normal, everyday, run-of-the-mill MP who's not got any particular responsibility, you could just about make an argument for that. But I think if you're sort of putting yourself up there as the Minister for uh, the Secretary for Education... I do think you expect a little bit of a different standard. And I think for myself these days, I think the, um, you know, the politicians just don't have the class. I just think the, you know, the, you should, if you think back to some of our great politicians, they were able to conduct themselves. I mean, for example, you, you never hear um, 
uh, Nigel Farage swearing. I mean, you know, he's a, a real Jack the Lad, really, but you never hear him swearing when he's on the cameras or anything like that. He's a class yeah, act. Yeah. You know, whether, yeah, whether, whether whether you agree yeah. with his policies, he's, he's certainly a class act, isn't he? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I'll bet you as soon as he gets in the pub and gets a couple of pints with lads, he's, he's talking exactly the same as, as lads do when, we, when we're in a pub and if, if we're angry at something, you know, the, the language is a bit choice and this, that and the other. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's because it's like badger bait in this, isn't it? No matter whether you're Labour, Tory, uh, green, Lib Dems, whatever, right? The minute you get anything, you know, you, you start thinking, oh, I'm, I'm making, I'm getting some seats here. Because as soon as this Sir Keir Starmer, yeah. the Labour leader, who's flirted his, uh, he, he, he had, he changed all his uh, thingies, didn't he? All them women. Yeah. You know, he, cha- he changed all them. The minute they get in, which I think they, they probably might do next year, uh, They'll be on every single bit on them. And then Labour can, uh, Tories can sit back and say, ah, you didn't realise that, did you, 13 years ago? You know. So, it's, as I say, it's just the press that want to... But the, the way she'd come out on ITV News, it was as though she'd gone on a, a, a full about 20 words, you know, effing and jeffing, yeah. all the way along. It were two words. Yeah. And one was part of the backside. And the other, yeah, it was the F word. Yeah. But, I mean, the way they, the way they were going on about it, you know, it was like as though she'd had a rant for about two minutes doing it. You know, it was about three seconds or four seconds or something. They're well, making a bit, you know, they just make mountains out of molehills, these press. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, it, it, there was something in the paper the day about... Um, uh, one of the swimmers, Petey, I think, having a, a, a bit of a punch-up in uh, the training camp with his uh, one of his um, training partners or something. And, um, you know, you'd think he had a head wound of about nine inches or something. It was a little scratch. Ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, for yeah, goodness yeah. sake. That's what I'm saying. You, 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 get a, you get a scratch on your leg and... It, it, oh, it could have had a double break with that and this, and look at the gash on it. And the blood were pouring out, and then the, the camera moves in on it, and I've done more shaving yeah. than, than some of these, you know. When it comes to the actual schools and the buildings, now, that is something we should have a quick look at, because I can remember when I went down to Cornwall and started teaching in the, the schools down there. Um, I mean, for a start, I was in... Um, the, the little cabins that you used to have, you know, um, not proper classrooms, but a porter cabin that would, uh, we, we had no books, we didn't have anything really uh, to motivate the children or the young people, should we say, because they were 16 years old, you know. I mean, when I think of what I used to have to do to teach these people, it was really quite difficult because, you know, if you got sort of uh, 20 or 24 um, young adolescents and a 16 to 19 year old and they start wanting to mess you about and start uh, you know uh, doing the sorts of things that young people do while they're at college Um, but some of these schools especially when I was in the Cornwall uh, primary schools doing my supply teaching some of those schools did look as if they needed a heavy investment spent on them and that was really um early 90s so we're not talking about 
uh, a new problem. It's just basic laziness and lack of investment again, isn't it? Yeah, because what happens is they'll give the councils that are running, you know, running that area where the school is. I mean, now we're at Cromwell Road, and we had two porter cabins outside, one for geography and one for history. We had that for donkey's years. But some of classes were, a couple of classes were getting revamped. But it, it, this has been going on for donkey's years. And the government, give, no matter which government they are, they give the council, the council so much. And then they start going off on a tangent with this money and don't put it into the schools. You know, so, and then they're saying, oh, well, the, the government haven't given us enough money. Well, hang on, we've already given you, you're allocated what you get to. That's for maintenance only. You know, it's like when you, when you pay your road tax in England. Yeah. That's that's to keep all the, the reason they were brought in was to keep the roads up to a great standard. Now look what happens. It gets spent on anything but the roads. It's just a it's just a, a vicious circle that goes round. You give it to councillors, they won't spend it, or they'll spend it on something else, something daft, and uh, it just goes around like that till all of a sudden something happens, and then there's all the hell to pay. Yeah. Okay, um, right, I think we've gone far enough with that one, so let me give you our second one for the day. Here we go. Okay, now there's a broadcaster, a TV newsreader. Uh, very often it's easy to just think these guys just read the, the news. But I've been seeing quite a lot of Clive Meary um, over the, um, well, the last couple of years, really. And um, basically, he's very, very entertaining on the uh, Have I Got News For You programme, for example. And uh, he's revealed the vile racist abuse suffered by family members while he was growing up, including a nurse aunt who was told by a patient to take your dirty black hands off me. So the BBC newsreader's factory worker, Father Norris, arrived in Britain from Jamaica in 1961, followed by his mother, Lynn, a year later. The family settled in Bolton and found they were regularly met with hostility. Um, in his new memoir, Everything is Everything, the Mastermind Host, uh, sorry, Everything is Everything, the Mastermind Host said his parents will not tell him stories about the racism they experienced, but he still recalls several incidents. I do recall mum coming home angry one day from work after someone had asked her where her tail was, because all black people are monkeys, he wrote in part of his memoir, uh, serialised in the Times. My mum's sister, Auntie Chris, was a trainer, sorry, I beg your pardon, she was a trainee NHS nurse, trying to help an elderly per patient one day, and the woman shouted, take your dirty black hands off me. Right, um, that gives you a picture of what life was probably like back in the 60s and 70s before the, I think it was 1974, Race Relations Act came in. And I've got to say, it doesn't make you 
um, proud or pleased or anything really. I mean, you know damn well it's nothing to do with us uh, because we would never have been like that. But um, I'm afraid there were areas in the country. I'm surprised Bolton was singled out because... Uh, Manchester, Bolton, all that sort of an area, and you, this, your neck of the woods. I mean, there yeah, were Salford, Swinton, Pendlebury, Clifton. Yeah, all in one go there. Yeah. Well, there, there was quite a big population of black people, weren't there? Well, they were in Bolton, as I said. I mean, I remember us doing uh, some on this a few years ago when we when we we're on Main Street, and uh, they were only. I I only ever saw one black person. And they, they moved into streets next door to us. And, and on the Monday morning, I went to school and this lad called Christian Agbonson, I'll never forget his name because he was the first one I'd ever seen. <laughs> uh, and he, he had a sister, that, but she was younger. She'd gone in juniors. And he was a really nice lad and his, his family were great. They got on with everybody. But we brought them people over years ago to do, to do the um, clippies. Uh, bus drivers, you know, all the all the work, a lot of the railways and, and stuff like that. The other people, they couldn't get enough uh, patients for nurses. We had hundreds of thousands of nurses doing a fantastic job. But I, this this racial thing, you know, I mean, it, it should have been stamped out the minute it started because they've come over to do jobs that other people don't want. And that was the reason they brought up, they came over, and they settled into a way of life. And as I say, that, that were the first black people I'd ever seen, you know. Well, I... And, and, yeah, and uh, they, they were really, you know, pleasant and everything. I, I think they still lived there till I moved out when I was 18, you know. I had um, a friend who lived in the uh, orphanage at the top of the road from us, and we used to go to school... Uh, on the bus together and uh, we walked to the school from the um, Birkenhead Library all the way up three miles or so up to the school. He was a black lad um, and uh, Peter Noon his name and uh, basically uh, he was just a nice guy and we didn't really didn't really think too much about the fact that he was black. I mean you just knew that he was black of course but you didn't go on about it. I mean, the things that really annoy me at the moment is the constant bombardment uh, of the media trying to get everybody riled up over things that really, uh, I think if you look at the general population, most of us don't particularly, uh, we wouldn't get involved with. I mean, you know, you've got a black guy who lives next door to you, great, uh, you get to know him eventually and then, you know, unfortunately, you might not ever meet a black guy until such times as maybe it's necessary to have a strong opinion because of the way the media is taking you. But the one thing that... Oh, yeah, the, the, the media putting wood on the fire. I, I never saw any of this racial screaming and shouting at, at black people or anything like that when I was growing up. You know, even 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 when I was married and had two kids, you know... I, and I, I used to go out into Manchester and, and Salford and Bolton. You know, there were some clubs in Bolton. And I've never seen any of that. But obviously, it must go on. But I think, it, as you say, like I said before, the press, they're just a gutter press. They just want to keep fanning the flames, don't they? You know, and make a big deal. Uh, somebody might have had an argument, a, a white man and a black man, and might have had an argument, and this and the other, and they just blow it all out of context, you know. 
Well, I remember when I would be about 25-ish, I can't remember the exact year, and um, I took uh, one of the Tamil Motown singers, Merv Johnson, I took him to a club and we were not allowed in. And that was the first time I'd sort of come across any of that sort of racism. But quickly, I turned it round and took him to somewhere else where I knew we would get in. And then... What happened to me the other way around, you know? I told you about when I played at Prescott Chairs and I was the only white player. And we had the players, you know, they they have an end-of-season players do in Mothside. And I went... And, and before I could even get a drink, the fellow behind the bar said, you better turn round, Donkey, and get going back to where you've just come from because you're not coming in here. I thought, oh, what? You what? I, I think not. I said, it's how we do. It's press which is football. <laughs> anyway, don't care who it is. You're not coming in here. There you go. So that was that the other way. Did I make a bigger ride about it? No, I walked out, got back on buzz and went having a drink with lads, other lads. Yeah. No, I I remember um, around this time uh, in particular, that was the one incident that I will always tell people about. But I was playing uh, in a place called Reese's Ballroom in Clayton Square. And it was when I'd just been on, no, it'd be a bit later actually, because it was when I'd been on Radio 1, which I don't talk about much because I'd only made one appearance on the station. So there was not much point about, you know, publicising myself as Radio 1, which some people in Benidorm would certainly have a big poster about it. But, you know, for me, um, I was quite chuffed that I'd been asked to go and do it. And um, anyway, I remember uh, this place, we would have uh, groups of young lads uh, and and girls, obviously, um, who used to come in. They'd love their uh, black music. We, We may as well say it. Um, Tamla Motown, everybody loved. And then these black lads had come in and they were talking about um, James Brown, which I really got into his music. You know, I know that probably he might have been the most savoury of characters, but I liked his music. And uh, I mean, there, there was a song which I used to hammer, say it loud, we're black and we're proud. Now, okay, I mean, in today's environment, I'd have people probably accusing me of um, being a, a, a black fanatic or something, you know, because basically yeah. I loved the music. I liked yeah. the song. I liked the way that it was played. And, um, you know, unfortunately, we've all been hijacked and our opinions hijacked by this blessed uh, media and then when you look at why they're doing it. Well, I mean, in a general sense, if you look at... Um, uh, say Coronation Street now. I mean, Coronation Street. Would it be that uh, diverse? Do you think? I mean, would there be certainly uh, a gay vicar living with uh, somebody who's got MS, and um, uh, then the, the builders are all a black company? Well, I would have thought there'd be a few white builders on the street. And and funnily enough, I actually was watching yesterday, and two of the ladies were discussing um, football. Now, isn't it strange? They've lived on Coronation Street certainly 10 years or 15 years, some of these characters. Never felt the need to talk about football in the past. Never have talked about football. I mean, you can see clearly, if you look for it, the way you are being orchestrated. And that's just a good example for me. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, I've not watched Coronation Street for like 30 years. But because I I, I used to have a a drink with uh, Tony Warren. You know, he lived just down the road from me, 
who, you know, de- devised it and everything, yep. and he's still he's still on the credits. And uh, I used to have a drink with him. But then it was just like it was when I were like 10, 11, 12 back-to-back houses, two up, two down, toilet down, you know, halfway down the yard and that, tin bath on wall. And, and that's what he built that on, you know, the cobbled streets and, and all that lot. And as I say, as I say, they, they, I've never seen one black, you know, one black lad and one black family. But that, that's never grown into into it, has it? You know. Well, it's strange because there was a period about ten years ago where you could see that the cultural change in the casting and the scripting was being orchestrated quite clearly. Uh, I would imagine that it's to do with uh, government policies. I would imagine that somebody has sent a memo asking Coronation Street to comply. So I'm not surprised, really, because it does reflect society. But also, um, you know, well, who makes these decisions? That's the interesting thing. Um, because definitely it's now changed a lot. I mean, even Emmerdale, which is part of a Yorkshire village, which is supposed to be a farming community, uh, you, you know, it's all Asians now and, and um, people who are not heterosexual, should we say. Um, you know, you, you can almost say... You can see the meeting. Let's have a meeting. Okay, you've got to have uh, every 10 people, you've got to have four gay people or LGBTQ. Now, four out of 10, when you look at the population, uh, 0.03 for the transgender and 4% for the gay community. And yet, you know, on a cast of 15 people, uh, or maybe 20 people, you know, you've you've got at least four or five that um, are suddenly elevated to these important roles in the in the casting. It's just because I, I used to have to spend hours looking at these programmes and studying them, I can see it very clearly. I think we're all being taken for a ride, and I'd love to know who's behind it. Oh, yeah, as I say, I've not watched Coronation Street, but you do get more and more, you know, gay, gay people on, black people on, you know, on adverts and everything. You know, it, it's just it's just the way it's, it's going, isn't it? Well, you know? the, well, the, and, it, and it's been going like that for quite a few years now. They used to always come up with this argument, is it a reflection of society or is it promoting certain things? Well, I think quite it's clearly... It's promoting, isn't it? Promoting. I think you've got to say that. I don't think there's any doubt in my mind. Um, interesting to see how you felt about it as we go to the next one. So uh, stand by. Here we go with the next one. Uh, right, this time we're off to Cornwall. Now, I don't know if you've seen this, and uh, there were angry locals at a tiny Cornish town have blasted the arrival of a massive cruise ship that increased the local population by 50% on the day. It was the 58,000-ton Spirit of Adventure, 
and it was a cruise ship that stopped in Foy in Cornwall on Friday. I know the village because I swam during the triathlon. I swam from Foy to Polruan, so it is an area that I'm very uh, au fait with. Uh, while some admired to s- the size, others weren't too happy about the 775-foot ship docking at Foy Harbour. Local residents said on social media the ship coming to the town was awful and shouldn't be allowed. Uh, Some also highlighted how the fumes being pumped into the air by the spirit of adventure was impacting on the air quality in the coastal town. This comes after it was revealed that Foy residents are being priced out of their homes due to an influx of second home buyers, which has pushed house prices up by more than £100,000 in just a year. This again is the Sunday Times now, and uh, three years ago residents in the coastal town voted in favour of banning new builds being sold as second homes in a referendum adding fuel to the fire in the long-running dispute between local residents and second-home owners. OK, first of all, I've got to ask you, did you see it? And then go on to what you, What did you think? I didn't see the ship arriving in into Cornwall. I mean, it, most of Ailish family live in Cornwall as well, <laughs> uh, St Ives and, and that area. And uh, But what I'm saying about the, the, the ship pulling in, I think they'd, they'd, they'd have welcomed that to put money in the economy. But um, we had this a few weeks ago, didn't we? These second-home buyers. I saw the, the big hoo-ah about, about the uh, second-home people. I, it's all wrong. It's all right. If you've got plenty of houses for the kids that are growing up, that have grown up and, and gone fishing or whatever they do, you know, in Cornwall, it's okay if, you can, if you've got them houses. You can't keep selling these houses off as second homes for people in London that only probably go once, once a year for a fortnight, you know, and because it, it, it keeps, you know, they, they keep claiming the tax on it and this, that and the other. But to get a boating with God knows how many people to come round villages and spend some money, I thought they'd have, you know, welcomed it with open arms and said, oh, yes, come on. This will help us to start building homes for, for, for the, you know, for the, these people that can't can't afford their own homes, get some council houses built for them. But these that are coming through the kids. <coughs> I think the problem really is that you can't have your cake and eat it. If you're exactly. going to, you know, if you're going to go down the road of accepting these big ships coming in. Um, you're going to be trying to turn parts of Cornwall into like the Greek islands. And we all know what happened on one of the Greek islands. And so that where people will suggest that in the future there'll be a big problem, you can see quite clearly it could happen, couldn't you? But if but if these people are only coming in for a day normally, don't they? You know, if they're on cruises, you stop at all these different places for a day. And they get up and they go and have a look in village and they'll, you know, they'll have a drink or they'll have coffee or they'll have, you know, that lovely um, <coughs> Cornish cheese and, you know, all that lot and have a look at it. But that, I don't, I think these are two separate incidents, this, you know, you don't want the ships in to give you money, but you've not got enough money to start building council houses. So that money would go straight into council for them, hopefully, to start building houses. I get, I'm with them on these second home people. You know, all these people with money just buy these houses in beautiful places like Cornwall 
and Devon and that area. And that, but there's no houses for for the kids, you know, that when when they, they're after leaving home and starting their own family and this, that, and the other. I, I'm with you on that one, but I, I I can't see a reason why they wouldn't accept these ships. Not everybody's going to come off and go in village, but at least some are, and they're going to spend some money in the village, you know. Well, the Foy, uh, the, the the River Foy is, I think, one of the deepest waters in the world, actually, because I know when, yeah. I, when I swam across it, you know, I had my leg pulled about, you know, how dangerous it was and everything. Um, but, um, you know, I think I can't really see the correct way that you could do this. I mean, would it not be better for the tourists to go and see, say, Falmouth or, or Penzance rather than a little village? Yeah, well, Penzance, that's, that's where um, Ailey's sister lives. And, and they welcome it with open arms in Penzance because he's putting money in community. You know, and yeah, I don't know, what, I don't know who makes these these things, you know, well, we'll, we'll be stopping here, there and everywhere. It must be on an itinerary somewhere. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, uh, but Penzance and that, yeah, uh, as I say, where Ailey's sister, they don't mind people. They're there for four hours or something like that. You have a walk around town. If you've got a market on, they'll go and buy stuff off market or they'll go and have, a, as we say, them cream teas are beautiful and, and a Cornish pasty, which are fantastic. Uh, and and then they get back on the ship. I don't I don't see... Where's the problem in that? That they, they're putting money into, you know, into to community. I just don't get that. But as I say, I'm with them 100% on these second homes, malarkey. Yeah. You know, that sh- they should be stopped having that second homes altogether now. So they get their own people, you know, to get so their their families can grow up and afford buy a house. But the only thing is, I don't see how you can do that. I mean, the only way you could do it is if you could control the housing. Now, the only way that I can see you being able to do that is to have some sort of a bylaw which says you can't sell your own house to somebody who's not from the county or something like that. Or yeah, y- y- yeah. Or as I say, they, they build these big luxury houses that. People can't, Cornish people can't afford. Well, somebody's giving them planning permission. And the, the problem with the plan, planning permission is they'll get a few quid for passing all these, but they're not looking at the, the future. All right, so if, if you want to build all these big fancy houses, before you do that, you've got to build twice as many uh, council houses for people that live down here permanently, you know. So that, that, that's the only way I can think of it. It's just jump on these councils and say, whoa, hang on a minute. Let's get something in order here that anybody selling second uh, houses to second homeowners, you know, as a second house, then they should, as you say, put a, a thing on to that or uh, put the council charge on that at twice as much keep going in. So it, then, then they can start building council houses for other people. Well, I know um, there was a great resistance to the wind farms when, uh, you know, when they first came in. And you heard people talking about the noise of the wind form, farms, which to me was nonsense. You don't hear the, um, the, you don't hear the wind farms. I mean, if you're in a car, you're driving past, not many people are walking in the fields next to them. So I didn't really understand that one. And then what about the claim about the um, uh, the pollution from the big funnels of the ship, for example? Would you think that's valid? Well, it's, it's, not, <laughs> it's not going to come in at like 
30 mile an hour, is it? It starts chugging in, so there's a bit, there's a bit of smoke coming out at top. It's not, it's not going to kill anybody with him, you know. And then, and then when they get there and they switch them off and they, and they, they dock up, it's not running. You know, or if it is, it's hardly running on, you know, on anything. You know, you couldn't you couldn't be seeing all black smoke belts. You know, you'll see it when it when it kicks off to to get going again. But for four hours, hang on a minute, please. So on balance, you say let them come in. I I I, I would have welcomed that with open arms down there to try and get some money in community. As I say, Penzance uh, further round uh, as you keep going round. You know, uh, Peninsula at bottom. All them down there. They're, they're all Falmouth and, and that area. They'd all welcome it with open arms. Yeah. But you know, a lot of lot of people, thousand people or whatever, all uh, many have comes off the boat to go and spend money in their village. Right, I think it's a great it's a great thing. Okay, uh, we'll go next to a little bit of a story I read about uh, the late billionaire Mohammed Al Fayed's. Okay, uh, let's see. Yeah, here we go. Okay, so the late billionaire and his children um, had already been involved in a very public spat that ended up in the High Court even before his death. It means now he's died. He died at the age of 94. His heirs, Jasmine, 42, Karim, 39, Camilla, 38, Omar, 35, could find themselves involved in another battle over his 1.7 billion fortune. Good God, it's a huge amount of money. Omar and Camilla uh, unleashed a vicious power struggle that saw claims of assaults and drug use hurled around in their court clash last year. Their former Harrods owner father is still believed to have had an extraordinary number of multi-million pound assets, including the Paris Ritz Hotel and a mansion near Oxted, Surrey, and the next uh, dispute could well be over his wealth, and of course Harrods, and Fulham I think he owned at one time, I don't know if he still does own that, or his estate. Uh, I think he sold it a couple of years ago, didn't he? I think he did, actually. Yeah, yeah, he did, I'm sure he did, yeah. But I I don't know if you remember, but there was a big hoo-ha over the fact that the Queen had never given him uh, some sort of reward for his contribution to the economy, had she? No. No, I remember that, yeah. Now, I know that uh, there was... Did she money one at Khashoggi's or somebody? The the arms dealers or something? If I'm honest, I don't really really remember. We never hear hear any of them. Well, we we knew who owned Arads and all that lot. But I'm sure sure somebody said it on news that you know, when he was younger, you know, f- from Egypt, and uh, he, or he had so much to do with Khashoggi's or something, but I don't know. But can you can imagine that? We're going to start mourning over 1.4 billion, four of us. Uh, just hang on a minute. What's he putting will anyway? If he says it's for me four kids, then you split it equally, don't you? Like when my mother died, you're only me and my brother. And whatever there was, we're just splitting two. Well, if there had been four of us, we'd have split it in four, wouldn't you? 
Well, I would. I mean, that, that well, would... 1.4 billion. I think I could just manage a bit on that. If, <laughs> you know, a quarter of that. What about this um, speculation that when Princess Diana was, and I still think she was bumped off, um, I don't know who's behind it, but somewhere in the establishment, it doesn't surprise me that she uh, eventually was bumped off, um, but mainly because she was having an affair with Dodie Fayad, and there uh, is the talk about the fact that she was supposed to have been pregnant, and it did seem rather unusual the speed at which she was interred um, after the crash in the tunnel. Uh, what was your what was your feeling about what was going on in that particular well, incident? I thought it was an absolute tragedy, you know. And then they were saying that the driver were drunk and he was speeding away from the uh, paparazzi. And uh, I I can't really see that she she were bumped off. There'd have been a, 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 a you know, a, a, an easier way than that. You know, to, I mean, it, it weren't certain that you were going to kill them anyway, were it? You know, if, you, if you're in a car smash and cars that they have, these big Mercedes things, uh, I, I'm on fence with that. I'm not quite, you know, I'm not sure which way I'd jump on that one. Mm. But, uh, but, I mean, it were all over with Charles. Well, it started through Charles and Camilla, didn't it? You know that that was that thing, and she was getting choked out anyway. And uh, it's royal family in it, and all this lot. And, well, you know. I've got to say, I think there's a lot more stuff behind uh, Charles than people realise, because the number of times I've come across his name in little select groups of people who are obviously people of influence. Uh, you can see quite clearly that he's been involved in climate change all his life. And um, so, no, as you say, I mean, realistically, it's a hell of a lot of money. And certainly, why would you want to start arguing when you're getting some, some that sort of money, those sorts of figures? I don't know what's wrong with, I don't know what's wrong with Rich. They'll not be short themselves anyway, no, will they? No. You know, it's, it's not like, Oh, my dad never gave us a penny. He never bought us an house or anything like that. Or he never set us up in business. And 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 now he's worth one point four billion. You all want to start having a big hurrah about it? Well, let me just tell you, the only winners there are bit solicitors. Well, isn't that the just the way that it always has been? Unfortunately, the. That's an area I think they should really start looking at the leaching that's been going on for centuries. Personally. Okay, uh, right, here's the next one then. Uh, yep, here we go. Okay, we're going down to Bristol now as we continue our look at the papers, remembering uh, for our listener that what we're looking at is stories that you might have seen. Uh, why are they hidden and maybe why are we not getting the information to discuss on the media, uh, in the media main channels, such as the Incline. <clears throat> this one is just a bit of an unusual one. 
It's a, a street called Vale Street in Bristol. <clears throat> now, people drive up the road and park their cars sideways. Out of fear, they will roll down in the winter. Uh, so they wear studded shoes to get a grip on the slippery surface to stop themselves from tumbling down. Uh, but you won't hear anybody who lives along Vale Street complaining about the 22-degree gradient incline. As they say, the views and community is worth it. Artist Benji uh, Appleby Tyler has lived on the street um, for nine years. He said it's fine most of the time. It's the winter that's the hardest part. <clears throat> it gets very slippery, so we have to wear crampons if we want to leave the house. The like studs you can add to your shoes. We get a lot of people coming to look at the road, especially during lockdown. We got groups of bikers and ro runners going up and down the street. We don't mind at all. So it's a little bit of a different attitude to the people and those coming in off the um, the cruiser. So it's up your way. Oh, no, it isn't. That's uh, another area. Um, Bristol. OK, I wouldn't really be thinking of Bristol for the steep incline immediately, but it's not that far from um, Cheddar Gorge, is it really, Bristol? I think it's round there, yeah, somewhere around there. Well, I mean, hang on, you, you buy your house, you want to be at Top Hill so you get all the views everywhere, right? I mean, that that's probably been one of all Roman roads or something like that. I don't know. As I say, I don't know Bristol at all. But, I mean, <laughs> in, in winter, yeah, where you get snow and ice, have they got no gritters there? You know, probably. have the council got no gritting machines? That they know that this steep hill, cars probably can't get up, or they start sliding down. Uh, so just grit the roads or, and grit the pavements. You've got to put crampons on to walk up a hill. I mean, hang on a minute, it can't be that, but I have seen it, and I know you can look right down into Bristol Channel, I think it is, and then on the, the other side, you know, at top of this, all over hills and God knows what. But... <laughs> You buy a you buy a house, you've got to put crampons to get to your house in winter. Yeah. <laughs> what's, what's happening here, like? <clears throat> bit of a little bit of forward planning might have helped there, mightn't it, really? Exactly. <clears throat> no gritters. We've got no gritters. We can only allow sledges up, sledges up this hill. Yeah, with, you know, horse-drawn sledges and hope that the horses can stand up, yeah. I've got to say, you know, that the, there are times when you, you can see cars... Um, having problems because snow and ice can be really a bad problem. But, Ooh, yeah. uh, but I mean, if you're going to live on a hill, surely all year round you're going to be up and down the hill and uh, obviously it's going to be difficult to climb and certainly if you're on a bike, if it's that bad, um, yeah, I think the cyclists might see that as a challenge, but I don't think um, the walkers will do very much, would they? Oh, cyclists. We're not getting on that one, are we? No, no, you won't be cycling up that hill. To, to be honest, I have seen it, and it is it's really is steep. But there's, there's roads like that all over UK, yeah. you know, so they're just having to go at one road here. Well, let's go and have a look at some of these others out there, man. And it's never been brought up since that road was put there, what, 200 years ago or whatever it is, I don't know. You yeah. know, nobody's brought anything up. And what's their argument? What do they want? Because... They have to park the cars, you know, sideways. Well, right. 
your pocket sideways. Yeah. Were you aware that the cycle tour of Spain, La Vuelta, was here this week? I watched it every day. You know I love cycling. (laughs) My favourite sport. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen seen about as much as I can see you on this this podcast. Right. (laughs) Okay. All right, then. Here we go. Here's the next one. Uh, Yes. Okay, so the Mail Online next, and they have rounded up some of the most terrifying instances of extreme turbulence suffered by some very unfortunate passengers uh, from being thrown out of their seat or even hitting the ceiling and uh, to fearing for the, for the very worst. These passengers have endured truly horrifying experiences for those who don't enjoy flying and understandably fear the onset of turbulence one pilot has also given his professional advice to those travelling on such buffeting flights uh, this is on TikTok um, so the guy that was giving us the information, Nicholson, who was on his honeymoon with his new wife after the couple met in Australia in 2021 um, dished out his expert top tips why turbulence shouldn't be a cause for concern. He said his first tip was to remind yourself that turbulence is completely normal and the plane isn't going to fall out of the sky. Tip number two uh, was to have a bottle of water. The pilot used it to show that the water's relative stillness compared to the chaos and shakes on board uh, was very little. The turbulence is probably not as bad as you think. And then his next piece of advice was to to adjust um, the overhead air so that it's blowing cool above you. He also recommended looking out of the window if you have one near you. We're at the back of the plane, so it's worst here. He said during the flight last week, it's not comfortable. Probably some of the worst I've seen. And um, I was thinking, why are they telling people this? And then I put. I started. Do not want to fly with them. Well, (laughs) you're having a grudge against the aeroplane. Well, I'm putting two and two together. Now, you know that there's dots to be drawn up the same as I do. You've got a lot of problem being inconvenienced, people being inconvenienced by the uh, traffic chaos everywhere. And now here's an article trying to put people off travelling. I think that's quite a connection. What do you think? I've had one, I've had one go when it, it's an air pocket once, oh, years ago, and it drops about 100 feet, and you, you don't know whether your stomach's on ceiling or on floor, you you know, and it worked. But all of a sudden, like, you, you, you just carry on with it, and you're saying, sorry about that, it was, you know. But if they're coming into turbulence where pilots can see there's going to be a bit of turbulence here because they've got it all in front of them, they tell you, can you put your, they bang your seatbelt on and we're going to have a bit of turbulence for the next few minutes and this, that and the other. And I've had a few rattle and rolls and this, that and the other. But as I say, that one that I had when we hit that air pocket, poor God and Bennett, I didn't know where I was. You know, yeah. but uh, yeah, you get turbulence every now and again. I mean, when I go to Thailand, you, you might get a bit of it, but 
mainly now these these big jets that we you know that we're going that there's 800 people on you, you don't you don't feel anything but I, I don't know why whoever's trying to stop us all going flying now because of this turbulence well good luck to you but I'll be going on holiday yeah it's just strange that you know is there a connection between all the travel chaos and an article that they've decided to write about people and heavy turbulence. I think there is, personally, but uh, you know what I'm like. I do suspect these things. Okay. No, but I'm, with, I'm with you on that. Why, why would you... So, Australian Airlines, or whoever it is, and he's a pilot on them or whatever, and so who's, who's telling the tale here? And why are you telling it when... You know, you, you know you might get a bit of turbulence when you're flying, and then Captain will tell you normally. You know, we're ready for a little bit of turbulence, so it's nothing, it's nothing serious or anything like that. Like you said, it'll not fall out of the sky, uh, and you have to put up with that if you want to go along. Go like, you know, I do a few times, but you know, I, I just don't get why why they, they're making a big fuss and who are about it. You know, frightening okay. people to death. OK, uh, well, a lot of this is all about scaring people, so let's go to the next one. Uh, yes, here we go. Okay, in the news a lot at the moment are these American XL Bulldogs. Two of them have been shot by a farmer in Wales after they killed 22 pregnant sheep and injured 48 more in a savage rampage. Uh, This guy, David Hughes, 26, of Pennywern, Rosclan Krugog, uh, this is near Wrexham, appeared at the city's magistrate's court and admitted being in charge of a dog dangerously out of control and being the owner of a dog worrying livestock. The attack happened one um, afternoon on private agricultural land uh, in March after the dogs escaped from their home. The dog had even turned on the farmer himself and had become aggressive. Hughes was banned from keeping dogs for five years and ordered to pay £900 in fines. The financial cost of the incidents totaled at more than £14,000. OK, um, I don't like these dogs at all. Nope. Um, nope. And when you hear of young children and uh, older people being attacked by them and killed, it seems ridiculous that it's being allowed to go on. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Uh, and any loose dogs near, near farm things and the farmer shoots them, Get on with it. And he should be made to pay the £14,000. Never mind the 900 quid fine. That just goes in coppers, you know, in, in, in uh, government funds. He should be made to pay by that farmer for the, the damage that he's caused with all these sheep and, and everything. No ifs, no buts. And if, uh, uh, you know, as I say, if you see any dogs that are running loose, it, this signs up. Keep your dog on a lead if you're walking through. And then you get these ramblers are saying, oh, well, we can't walk walk through because they're stopping us going rambling. It's probably through these mad dogs that, that farmers are getting sick of it and going to stop you walking over their lands, you know. So, and, and a 900 quid fine, and it, the, the farmers lost out a load of money on that. He should get paid 
buy him by this nutter who's had the dogs, the 14,000. And if he's on benefits, you take it straight out of his benefits. Sorted. Well, uh, and he's only been banned from keeping dogs for five years. Yeah, so five years. It doesn't, it's, it's almost as if the judges don't ever relate what they're dishing out to what's happened. And we see this left, right and centre. Uh, I mean, you, you've either got to be a silly old duffer, which, you know, uh, judging by the way that they select judges, you wouldn't expect that. Or you've got to be utterly stupid in the first place. If you've got £14,000 worth of damage, um, then you give the fine and £14,000 worth of costs. Absolutely and straightforward. Yeah, and also, these the, you watch it on uh, police interceptors and all that. When they damage them police cars ramming into them, they should be made to pay for them police cars. You know, it's all right saying, oh, he got a £200 fine for dangerous driving. Yeah, and what about the 10000 that damage he's done to our police cars that we're paying for? You know? Yeah, no, I'm, exactly I'm with you. That, that should be all brought into that. Yeah, I, I'm totally and utterly with you. I've got one, one more for you. Uh, so, uh, yes, here we go. Now, most of us like going to a big supermarket, uh, okay, for our own reasons, either just that uh, it's a bit of time spent together or whatever, but every frontline Tesco store worker in the UK is to be offered a body camera following a shocking increase in violent attacks on staff. More than 200 of the supermarket's employees are victims of serious physical assaults each month amid an epidemic of lawlessness and antisocial behaviour blighting the high streets of broken Britain. Tesco boss Ken Murphy described the impact on staff as heartbreaking, calling the assaults an insult to shoppers and retail workers. Um, writing in the Mail on Sunday, the chief executive called for the changes to the laws and policing. Officers currently fail to attend more than two-thirds of a serious retail crime, even though shoplifting costs businesses almost a billion pounds a year. Mr Murphy's comments come as a major poll by former Tory party deputy chairman Lord Jashcroft, actually and exclusively reported in the Mail on Sunday, shows that 70%, 72% in actual fact, of voters think Britain is broken. Now, I think... There are a couple of things in this article that need to look at. I mean, a couple of times it's been called broken Britain. If you want something to broke to be broken, keep calling it broken, and eventually it fulfills the prophecy, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Broken Britain. You see, any attack on any staff, whether they be in supermarkets or corner shop or anywhere, tobacconists, anything, right, should be dealt with severely. And it, it makes me laugh. But now they're going on about shoplifting, Mr Tesco's, going on about shoplifting. Right, well, or, uh, you know, when they do the stock, it's, they're so much down. Try putting back the cashiers on the end where people pay. Because you can go now, fill your, your basket up, you've got to do it all yourself, then you've got to pay by your card, 
Then you, as you're walking out, some woman or some young kid shouts to you, so excuse me, can I just check your... Uh, your and you just walk off. Yeah. Because they, they've took all them jobs off people and they, they want... The people that are buying the food, they want them to do the jobs that the cashiers do. Hang on a minute. I mean, I don't go shopping, so it doesn't really affect me. But if, <laughs> if you want to stop shoplifting... Put the women back on the till, so when they till them up, they get the money, they put it in the till or they pay by card or whatever they want to do, <clears throat> and you don't have to have people just walking out with, with, with tray, uh, full uh, baskets full of food. In France, I read this and I saw it on news, that 250 people went into their main supermarket, they filled up with everything they could get, and when they went there, they said, right, uh, how much is that? And she's told them up, and it's like five hundred quid or something. And they get they get notes out. They say, "No, no, it's card only." Sorry, I haven't got any cash. It's card only. I said, "I've not got a. I'm, I've only got cash. I've not got a card. I don't have a card." Oh well, so so that well, I'll leave it here then. So they push that trolley out away, and next one come along. Uh, how much is that, look? 500 quid, 400 quid, whatever it is. Aye. What do you mean? It's card only. I've not got a card. And all of them went through and left this full supermarket with all these trolleys full of food that then they've got to get somebody in to take them back to put them back on shelves. That's the only way you're going to stick with this cash thing. You know, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm a cash I'm a cash man yeah. all, the, all the time. I don't even have... I have a card, but I... It's only if I'm booking holiday. That's the only thing I do uh, on a credit card. So I get myself covered. Yeah. But I think I think that get your cashiers back. You make enough profit for anybody. It's pure, as I say, everything now is pure greed. But this, if once you lose cash and it's gone, trust me, you're at the hands of the government then because they know everything. These oh, you you might have someone for selling. You have to say a you want to sell it? Yeah. Hang on, you've got to pay by card. No, hang on, I'll knock you 50 quid off, pay cash. Once cash is gone, the whole world's just being ruled by, by you know, people checking on, well, where did you get that from, or what did you do that? There'll be no telling you you're selling damn toys for kids and, and stuff like that, you know, they, they, they run out and, and somebody else could use them, or a pram. They're normally used for about three or four months or six months or whatever. Brand new pram there. Pay four hundred quid for it. I'll sell it for hundred and fifty. Right? Yeah. Yep. You go with hundred and fifty cash. That's done. Sorted. Neil. What, what, the, what the people don't know is every time you make a transaction, you're being charged for it. No, I, then, I'm totally. Him that, him that fills up the store, he's being charged for it, and it goes on and on and on. Yeah, listen, this is going on and on and on. We've gone three minutes over. That's a long That's one this week. <laughs> that is a rant, isn't it? Neil, thanks yeah. very much indeed. Okay, Vince, I'll speak to you next week. Speak to you next week. See you. See you now, Bob.